Hello, my name is Ryan Wynn, and this is How It's Reported. Uh, not new podcast from the Emerald Podcast Network, but it's sort of old. It's like a term old, whatever. It's about basically how reporters do the work we do. Today, we have a full house. Today, we have Maggie Vanoni, Sierra Webster, and Sean Meadow. Y'all are sports reporters and editor for the Daily Emerald. This weekend, the Ducks and y'all went to the Final Four. How did that? How was that? Um, it was pretty cool. We flew down to Tampa, Florida to cover the Oregon women's basketball team uh, in the Final Four. They didn't advance to the final game, so we were there, uh, but we were still there for the whole the whole weekend, and we wrote a bunch of stories and got to be at the premier collegiate women's basketball event, which was a really good opportunity and just pretty cool. I think you got to talk about how we got there too, right? Um, with the fundraiser. So thanks to those who shared that and donated, if you're listening. Um, I hope you are because this is part from your donation. Uh, we were able to get out. How many was that, Maggie? It was 14 stories plus a podcast. And that includes hey. two cover <laughs> uh, That includes two cover stories in print back here in Eugene as well. Yeah. Maggie, did you want to add something about your final four experience? Yeah. I mean... It was, I mean, it's obviously a whirlwind for the team, but it's just as a whirlwind experience for us as reporters. Like, I mean, I can talk for myself. I can't speak for them, but I had never been in a, a stage, literally in a stage, a weekend-long stage like that before as a reporter. So that was really cool. You're just on go, go, go for two or three days. For us, it was just two days straight because the Ducks got out the first game. Um, but it was just, I think it was top, top of journalism experiences. Yeah, so for the non-sports fans out there the non-women's basketball followers which if you want to find out more about it we have a whole archive of women's basketball podcasts hosted by the fellow reporters who are in this room with me why is going to the final four exciting for the ducks i mean it was that program's first ever time to the final four which is insane i think i I think it might have been, don't quote me on this, only the third time ever a Ducks basketball program has been to a Final Four, including the men's. They've been there twice. Um, so it's just huge for the uh, University of Oregon, the athletic department. But it's even bigger. I don't want to say it's even bigger, but it's just as big as reporters, especially as student journalism reporters who we normally, who normal students don't get to have these experiences. And especially this looks great. We get such a good experience writing on deadline, Writing, covering games that the whole world is watching, or at least it feels like the whole world is watching, and knowing that you're surrounded by professionals at every single second. I think also in terms of like significance for the program, in order to make it to the Final Four, I mean, only 64 teams make it to the NCAA tournament, so that's an accomplishment in itself. But then to make it to the Final Four, you have to you have to beat four different teams, and those are like top teams, right? Like. In order to get there, Oregon, for example, had to beat number one seeded Mississippi State. So, like that's a huge deal for a number two seed. And so it's like it's not just like to get there or whatever, but it's like it's like four back to back weekends to even be able to be in Tampa for the final four. Yeah, and obviously it's just a spectacle. Like this is a show, really. I, I think a final four is. And just to be able to cover it and when you go into the season. This was kind of what we were saying was the goal for this team, and it wouldn't be a success without it. So for them to get there was like good for our own stories because it's a better story that way. 
rather than three years in a row, Oregon gets beat in the Elite Eight. And three years ago, they were playing in the second tournament, the WNIT. So that's, I think, speaking to what Maggie said, how big this is for the program. I think this is just monumental. This might be the biggest turnaround just in from a start to finish, just quick move. Like Sabrina Inescu, Ruthie Hebert were on that first Elite Eight team. They carried this team into the Final Four this year, and they might go and win the national championship next year. Yeah, so going back to how y'all got there, did anyone want to elaborate on the Emerald Fundraiser and how that exactly happened? Maggie, I know you talked to someone from Pointer, which is a sort of research slash media outlet that covers the press. Did you want to talk more about that? Yeah, that was really cool. That was just, I was blown away by the support we got for that. That was just incredible um, and very humbling as well. We basically released, or is released the right word, published the GoFundMe account literally as the Mississippi State game ended. And that was Sunday around midday in Portland. And I think we, it was just incredible. We were getting responses out, like Pointer recalled us, Strong KGW. KGW in Portland. Yeah, they, they reached out to him and just seeing the support on Twitter and going through the GoFundMe and seeing just like all these huge journalists, sport journalists have made donations. That was just really humbling. And it really meant a lot to see them take their time to not only um, donate with their with their money, but donate with their support. I think that the support almost made it more more meaningful to me than the money itself. And Sorry. the fans too, yeah. like, like fans are donating. Mm-hmm. This is our readers. Like, this is who we're writing to for people to see. And so these people to donate, it's like, hey, like we like your work. Please keep it up. So that's also just like you kind of get lost for words, honestly, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about that. Yeah, Sierra, you were nodding. Did you mm-hmm. want to add something? Yeah, I think it was really encouraging too. Like Maggie was saying, like how there's like these like kind of big name sports journalists in the industry who are like sharing it and. And like supporting us, but also a lot of them in like their tweets and stuff would talk about how like, oh, like when I was in college, like I got to go to like this bowl game or this final four and to just kind of see like, oh, like we're like walking in the same footsteps of like industry greats. And like just to think that that's like really exciting and like we're part of like a bigger legacy as like student media across the nation who are, you know, doing stuff like we're doing and and end up in in big jobs yeah and did you maybe want to elaborate a little bit on why exactly we needed to do this fundraiser in the first place don't we have boatloads of money <laughs> no no we we're have independent none. student journalists <laughs> lol the, the daily emerald's independent of the university for those who don't know so we don't get university funding like other schools oregon state's student newspaper just up the road they are under the umbrella of the school so they get funding from the school so there were a couple of tweets where people were like at you oregon hey, like, help these kids out. Like, why aren't you helping them? And it's like, they they actually can't. Like, that's just, that would compromise our integrity as journalists to cover this team, this school, and anything in the community fairly and accurately. Because if you are getting funding from the people you are covering in that sense, it's, it's now compromised your integrity as a journalist, and it's something you're taught in ethics 101, essentially, if that was even a class. But... It's what you're taught as journalists. And so that you, you that's why it also adds to the experience. We got to cover this team properly. You don't have to tiptoe around so-and-so had a bad game or so-and-so had a good game. Like you, can, you don't have to turn things positive if this team is playing poorly. You don't have to, you get to be honest. Like anyone from other newspapers here, like the Register Guard and the Oregonian, which regularly cover this team. We are just like them in that sense. 
yeah, Maggie, Sierra, did you either of you want to add anything to that? Um, I, well, I know that the Emerald has like a travel budget, um, but like even that is like it's not like huge, you know. So and it was in Florida, <laughs> and it was in Florida, right? So it was like getting us there and getting a hotel and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, the the fundraiser just kind of helped also get us there, even though that we did have like a small travel budget. Yeah. So when you did get there. What did you do to prepare? What do you generally do when you prepare for covering these sports events? We'd been preparing all year long, if you ask me. I mean, (laughs) you're watching these teams play. UConn, Notre Dame, Baylor. These are the top teams in the country. And then you have Oregon coming into the mix. And we've been covering them. And that's obviously who we're we're focused on. But your research at that point becomes much less. So Mm -hmm. the first two rounds... I didn't miss a, a day of media during this. And so like, what do you to, mean by media? So there's availabilities on the days before games and in between. So the first day is Thursday games on Friday, uh, Thursday, there's interviews with all the teams. So here in Eugene, it was Texas, Indiana and Oregon's first round opponents, and Portland, Portland state. state. And then when Indiana defeated Texas the next day after Friday, when they played Oregon and Indiana had press conferences and media availabilities where we get to interview the players. And in the NCAA, you get locker room access. So you can actually go into the locker rooms and get really good interviews one-on-one with all the players, the coaches. It's it's really a great experience. And so that ability, whereas some of the regular season, it's they get to ch- they get to choose who you get to talk to. This way, everyone's available for you to talk to. So it's a great experience in that sense for journalists, especially student journalists, to be able to get these players one-on-one, and get better stories. Um, Some of the stories we wrote were because of that. We would not have been able to write if we weren't able to get access to these players in the way that we do. So what I was saying, though, you get those games. I didn't know much about Indiana. I knew a little bit about Texas because they were a top team, and I knew nothing about Portland State. So research was really at the start of it. By the end, you've done all your research you can. You're getting to the Final Four, and you're like, I know these teams if I've been following them. You just do some brushing up. You watch some film that you can do to see right. who's good, and basically you yeah. go from there. Maggie, Sierra, is there anything that you two do that might even surprise people to learn about covering events, like something that our listeners or the readers of the print tradition would be surprised to find out? Um, I don't know if this is like super surprising, but maybe it's something that people wouldn't think about. But um, so, like, and one thing I was going to say earlier too is like, so like sports reporters have and other reporters too but have like beats so it's like a place where you like focus your attention so like we're all on the Oregon women's basketball beat so like by the time you get to the final four you know everything there is to know about Oregon women's basketball because (laughs) you've been covering them since November um but then when you have a new opponent um what I always do is I like go and I look at their stat lines and I, I read stories that have been written about them and kind of figure out like who their key people are and figure out um like where their momentum is and kind of think about matchups like Oh, like if they have a really strong post, like what is that going to mean for Ruthie Hebert? If they have a really good guard, what is that going to mean for Maite Cazorla? Um, and so just kind of like reading what other people have written who like are covering those those teams as beats and kind of read what they've written to kind of get the scoop to know going in what to expect. Yeah. I think a, an aspect about sports reporting, a lot of people who aren't in it kind of tend to overlook is that um, a lot of times we're writing on a very strict deadline. Granted, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't, a lot of these games, we didn't have, like, for instance, Friday's game, the Final Four, we didn't have a print edition coming out on Saturday, but 
we at Emerald like to practice having an hour after the game and not to get your story done. And while that seems like a long time, if your game is back and forth, it's so hard to write. It is so hard to write your story because you do not know who the winner is. You don't know who's going to score the, the, you know, the bucket three at the buzzer. And like I think the misconception a lot of people have is that we sit and we watch. I am not the game. Yes, I'm watching the game, but I am constantly <laughs> done watching the game. I'm constantly taking out my own stats. I'm constantly trying to write on my story during every break. And you don't have quotes. You're not going to get quotes until at least 10, 15, 20 minutes after the game has ended. And so a lot of it is constantly multitasking. And I think that goes overlooked a lot is that we're multitasking the whole game and that if it's, you know, it's a matter of writing during halftime, you don't get a halftime. Yeah. Like the players get a halftime. They're cooling down. But like as reporters, you are busting your ass to get your story done. I can say ass, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't even give you a thumbs up or anything. <laughs> you're busting your ass to get it done on time and like, by the time that, that game was over, you're not only hustling to get your butt, especially as we were in the really high 300 level seats during the arena on Friday, you're busting your butt to get back to get down to the court level, which are you know you're in your you're um, running in between hordes of fans, you're trying to get down elevators, trying to get down random stairs to get people to get down them to get your quotes really fast, but also not rushing your quotes because so you want to have good quotes, and a lot of it is just learning how to multitask and learning how to pace yourself too. Yeah. Yeah, oh. at the at the end, this is just kind of a funny story. At the end of one of the games, Sean and I were like trying to get down to the to the um like press room, and I was like, I'm not taking the elevator because I knew it was gonna be like a bajillion people trying to get on it because they also use it for fans. And okay. so I'm like, okay, we're gonna take the stairs. But then like we get to the bottom, and like the stairs just lead outside. So we're like running back up the stairs and like <laughs> trying to like get onto the court and like trying to figure out like which aisle we can go down that will like get us on the court to get to the back. And so, like, all of that's happening, and there's everyone's excited, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to miss, like, press room or whatever. So. And you're jet-lagged while this, doing this, too? Yeah, yeah. Because you sure. were in Florida, Florida. <laughs> okay, yeah. Sean might not have been. It was the <laughs> other direction, so we were good. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah, it's good that. Like, this is now the jet lag, where I'm going to be, like, <laughs> nine uh, 9.30 yesterday when we no, were flying I mean, back. Like, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired But the first nine? day we got there, we had to, like, be that's at true. press conferences at 10, so we had to wake up at 9, which was 6 our time. So, I mean, you get in at midnight and then you're getting up at six in your body clock it's yeah how many days did you spend there it was four days there two days of travel so we were gone for six days mm -hmm. okay okay so yeah. i was NCAA also a tournament oh. sponsored by coffee sponsored by coffee <laughs> um sp sponsored this podcast maybe <laughs> just just coffee yeah. just coffee oh, oh i have one right brand. here happy starbucks. <laughs> happy starbucks thanks um so something else that i was wondering about was when you're reporting on these stories, there's also the fact that you are all students of the university of which you're covering. Mm -hmm. Where's like the line between being like a fan, a student and a reporter when you're sort of like maybe all three of those things? Mm -hmm. I think that that also is very misconception is that it's also it's very hard. You know, I, I mean, being, I covered football this year, you know, and football is really big at the University of Oregon, and their fans going, hey, let's go to tailgates, let's go to the games you're not covering, and let's go, like, rowdy out, you know, and you're like, I'm down, like, I would love to go, but then you sit there, and you're trying, I feel like I was trying to hide, mm. you know, because not that mm -hmm. the cameras are going to come at me, I'll, they're not going to, but <laughs> I feel like I'm also, my hair makes me stand out really big, so I feel like I was trying to hide, but... It's hard, you know, I think it's hard when Oregon upset Washington in the football game, you want to celebrate. You're like, oh my gosh, that school hasn't beaten that team in so long. But then deep in, but then you're kind of like, my, my fandom is kind of like, 
it's kind of melted from since being a sports reporter. Mm-hmm. Like there's still teams that I'm like super stoked about, you know, but my fandom for Oregon sports has definitely taken a step aside when I'm on reporting because I know my job is more important than me having this cheer or like you know, and it's, it's like it's when you are a fan, it makes you seem that you are biased against that team. It makes you seem that you don't want to say anything negative. Like if Sabrina Unescu had missed, you know, all her shots. You know, and you didn't mention that because you were a fan of the team. You didn't want to point because say something negative about her in print. That'd be bad. You know, as a journalist, you're supposed to be you're unbiased, supposed to be saying both the negative and the positive. And if you're a fan, you show you're a fan, people are going to doubt that you're going to say all of the negative and the bad, or all the negative and the good. I think that goes back to like what I was saying earlier, where we're independent. So yeah, I I personally never was a fan of Oregon. Ever, so, <laughs> I grew up in Southern California. Could not, could not care less about if Oregon wins a game. I'm cheering for a story. He could man. not care less. When Stanford beat Oregon, I was like, "Oh my gosh, the Verdell fumble! That's going to make a great lead." <laughs> um, which is the first sentence of a story for those who don't know what a lead is, and kind of self-explanatory, I think. Um, but yeah, it's like those type of moments where you're like, "Oh, that's that's the story." Heck yeah! Like one of my my friends always goes. You're the anti-Oregon. And I'm like, no, I just cheer for the story. And if Oregon <laughs> softball's won 35 <laughs> games in a row, which is a true story, I was at the one that they lost finally, and I was like, thank God. Like, it was finally like, oh, a different story. Oregon finally loses. Yeah. So it could be the opposite where they lose a lot. Uh, in the I remember in the Elite Eight game, we had all booked our tickets. And so it was like, oh, if they win, they're going to Tampa. And I like before that, I was kind of like, you know, whatever, like, if they win or lose, like, I, do, I feel pretty indifferent. But then once it was like, oh, like, we have our tickets, I was like, I really want Oregon to win because I want to go to the Final Four. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> like I, before that, I was like, whatever. Like, if they lose, like, the story is whatever, you know? But but then, like, once it was like, oh, I'm going to get to go if they win, it was, like, almost like, it wasn't distracting and, like, I couldn't do my work. But I, like, definitely felt more invested because I was like, I want to go to the Final Four. So I was like, this is why you can't be like connected to the team because it it like I was like more nervous because it was like Tampa's on yep. the line like you need to make your shots guys <laughs> when, when did it hit you that like that was happening because for me it was when I was in the locker room and I was interviewing assistant coach Jody Berry she's wearing like final four hat uh-huh. and I was just like no way like, yeah this just this ha- like not even the net cutting the ceremonies on the oh, court no, I was that like- didn't hit me <laughs> until I'm in the locker room interviewing I'm just like Yo, this is happening. No, like the whole game, I was thinking about it. Like the, I was like, <laughs> I was like, like when my team like made that like the dagger, the three. dagger three that like kind of won them the game. I was like, oh my gosh, she did it! Like we're going to Tampa. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard line. It sounds like to be on, but I was also wondering when you were at the final four, what was maybe the most difficult part of covering the event? Was it that, or was it something else? Capturing such a big event. Like they were saying, all eyes are on this, right? Like everyone knows what is happening. Now, can you write a story? Can you make it a story rather than just like a, here's what happened and like she played well or she played poorly. It's it's finding that why because everyone watched the game. Everyone knows what happened. So now you got to go in and, and explain why it happened this way, what it means. It's the so what? Why should I be reading your story about this game? So, like, I wrote about Ionescu in that game and how she had a poor performance, 6 of 24, but still got 18 points. And 
just couldn't do enough to carry Oregon over the line, and she had a couple shots late in the game. She didn't score in the fourth quarter. She was two buckets in the second half alone. It was a bad game from her in that sense, and what it meant for her future, which we found out a few days later, or a day later, Mm -hmm. that she would be returning to Oregon to play a senior season. So those type of things is capturing such a big event, but being able to just turn such something that could be written probably in 20,000 words down to 500. Yeah. That was the hardest part for me too, was like getting things into a word count. Cause then it's like the things that you're cutting, you're like, Oh, but like this, this matters. Like this is so important, but it's not the most important. And so I definitely think figuring out how to condense I mean, I think that's always a challenge, but especially on a stage like this where everything is so high stakes is like, like, how do you even tell this story in a way that makes sense and a way that people can digest, but also captures the whole picture and is still 500, 600 words. You've got to negotiate with like print page links. Right, exactly. Like, You're a, like, can I have yeah. like how much like what is the actual I've kept asking Sean like. Like can I is six fifty okay? Can I have six fifty? Like, and he's like, try to get up it to five hundred. Like, <laughs> try get it as close to what? Yeah, I'm I like, mean, what about six hundred? Is six hundred okay? I think you we bargain, settled on you like. You bargain a lot. What yeah. did we settle on? I think I, I think most of on average mine were like six hundred. Yeah, I think it was like six twenty five max ish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the hardest part, I think, with any game coverage, kind of what Sean was saying, is making your story a story and not making just it a. Not just regurgitating, is that the word? Regurgitating. Regurgitating the stat lines. I think that's something that I definitely have learned a lot about my as a sports reporter. And definitely with games like this where it's a national game. Like literally people are watching this. They might not be watching every single Oregon's women's basketball game throughout the season, but they're watching this game. 3.6 million people was the average ESPN announced today. And at its peak was that's over 5 million. Yeah. Over 5 million people watching the Granted, those five million are not going to read your story, um, but a good, <laughs> oh, a good portion will. A lot of, especially Oregon fans, they're going to be wanting to know the game. They're not, they're not going to care okay. if like Sabrina scored on the second minute of the second quarter and it was a two pointer. Well, why did why did she shoot it to? Why did she miss? Exactly. How did she so, do that? Kind of showing more like I like the balance of like runs and saying that Oregon went on a you know seven to two run in the third quarter and got ahead by nine points or something like that. You know, just adding, mixing in your, showing why the stats, showing why the stats should matter. Mm-hmm. And so adding that, so what, like Sean was saying, maybe like, for instance, Friday, it was Sabrina, it was a rough night for Sabrina, a rough night for Ruthie, and saying how those lack of runs or lack of points, how that really affected the game. How it wasn't just, oh, they didn't score. It was, they didn't score. And Oregon could not have anything to back up their, main one or two two of their main starters not scoring yeah i think that one last thing that we should talk about is corrections because inevitably like something's gonna get i'm not sure what the, a good word would be for that like something's gonna be wrong and i remember seeing like something from the emerald that said ed sabrina was going to go to the w <laughs> That was our lovely Saturday this, this night. One's, <laughs> this one's fun. Yeah, I feel obliged to talk about it. I know it's tough because a reporter's worst nightmare is having a story be wrong, but I feel like we should talk well, about it. Well, I'm going to intervene on that because it wasn't our story. It wasn't okay. our scoop. Okay. We were off of a report, and this is where the wording comes in. So I never got any personal hate mail. My, my name was on that story, and I was like, oh, geez, I'm... I don't want to look at my Twitter. I was saying to them, like, should I check it? Should I check? And they're like, no, I'm going to check it. And then I would check and be like, okay, it's okay. But 
you you kind of stick that out. But it was High Post Hoops, which is a reputable website, and it was Howard Magdal, who's a reputable reporter. He has gotten scoops all the time. I mean, if you follow men's basketball in the NBA, you know who uh, okay. Adrian Wojnarowski is and his Woj bombs, as they call it, when he breaks news. This is essentially the woman's hoops version of it, and he has sources that can tell okay. him things. So we went on Twitter, and we're watching Twitter, and it pops up, high post hoops. Sabrina Ionescu is going to that WNBA draft. So we label it report colon Ionescu to leave okay. Oregon. And then in the first sentence, you say according to high post hoops, because we haven't confirmed it yet. We can't report it as our own reporting. Some fans might not understand that, and some didn't. They tweeted at us at ODE Sports going, hey, like, what are you talking? Like, good reporting, guys. And it was like, we didn't report. We're regurgitating, like we were talking about. You're regurgitating someone else's report. That's why it says report. That's why it says according to. All we're doing is just getting a story out there. So we were just, we just jumped the gun, as did many outlets and many accounts on Twitter. So that happened, and then Sabrina Inescu drops it on the Players' Tribune and says, hey, just hold on, guys. I'm staying. And so then we issued a correction tweet, deleted the original and said that we did, and then wrote out a line at the start at the top of the story online that said, we originally said this because of this report. We have since corrected that, and here is what has actually happened. Okay, yeah, and is that standard Emerald, like, correction policy? Yes, it is. I had to we could have an entire a lot of corrections. I had, to, I had to talk to the editor-in-chief for social media I don't know, what what is Jake Willard's title? Engagement editor, Engagement I editor. I had to talk to him. He's in charge of social media, so I was like, what is our policy on deleting tweets and issuing corrections? And then our editor-in-chief, Zach Price, I talked with him. What is our, our rule on that? And we went from there. I think just also to, like, give you a glimpse into that night. Yes. Um, so, like, we were... We... We're in our hotel room, and all of us... We got back from dinner, didn't we? Yeah, we had, like, gone back from dinner. We had gone back from dinner, Sorry. and um, we... I don't think that we had realized that she had 24 hours after the game had ended. So Sabrina Ionescu had 24 hours after the end of her last game to declare for the WNBA. And so we figured out that we were like in the hour mark of that. And so we were like, okay, so we're like all on Twitter and Instagram and like all of the places where she could possibly announce. All the Twitter and Instagram notifications. Yeah, it's like we like had like every, like all all of us were on our computers like refreshing, like when is this going to drop? And so I remember when we we saw the high post hoops, we're like, okay. And so we we issued the thing. And then when Sabrina's thing came, we were all like, wait, what? And so like, I think one thing just to know is that like, um, people always want to get mad at like reporters like oh you messed up and like the worst thing a reporter can do is like mess up right like like you just are like like it's like not what you want obviously and so I yeah. think just to like know that like that's like a really stressful situation and like a moment of like okay like what do you do and so it's not like people are like oh haha I like tricked the world into thinking Sabrina was going to the draft <laughs> you know I don't know just to like remember that like oh like we were people and we were like stressed about it and trying to figure out like what to do and like Sean was on the phone with like Jack and Zach and like trying to be like like what Zach's like, our editor in chief by the way yes and Jack is the sports editor trying to figure out like what what is the right thing to do here so even UConn loses games right 115 right no exactly. runs like we we lose games too and our games just happen to be the occasional uh misinformation that we go with I yeah. mean 
we're not purposely doing that. I think it really goes into the whole journalism kind of debacle, both not just sports but in the news too, especially news break, new breaking news story. Is it worth being first to report something if you're not quite sure about it? You know, and like like Sean said, High Post Hoops is a very reliable outlet. It's very respectable in both women's basketball and in the sports media world, just for that matter. And the people who write on it are very respectable uh, journalists. Um, and so it's a matter, but, you know, granted, we were just, like Sean said, we were just saying what they said. We hadn't checked our own sources. We hadn't because. Everyone was locked tight, just by the way. Like yeah. the sources that you could go to and like we all have people we could go to. No one knew. And then today at Sabrina's press conference, we found out that she didn't even have a decision yet. So I think it's just, it brings up the debate. It's like, why is it really worth being that first outlet to break it, even if you're not 100% sure that's correct? And like Sean said, like today we figured out she didn't, when we thought we were just, we were there at like 8.30, 7.30 on our phones, free of our own anxiety, trying to make sure we were first, when she literally had not made, she had until 9 p.m. and she didn't even know she had until 9 p.m. until 8.15 so she only had 45 minutes to decide, and here we are, like, I don't know, it brings, it brings up a debate of just why, what's the matter, what's the, what is the point of being first kind of thing? I wouldn't say that we were trying to be first. I think we were just trying to be on top of it so we didn't miss it. Like, we weren't going, we wanted to, what did we do? We went to ice cream afterward? Like, we didn't want to go to ice cream and it happened there. Like, you mm-hmm. want to be able to get your story up so you don't fall behind. You know, it's, it's being left behind. Because if we were trying to be first, we would have been on phone calls with a lot of people trying to get sources, but none of my people who know things knew things. Okay. Well, I think that's a good way. Well, maybe not the best. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think in order to wrap things up, everyone is there anything that you want to impart upon our listeners before we wrap things up? As I said, I think there's a big thank you. Uh, Even if you're not, if you're a listener, you're not a reader or if you're a reader, not a listener, Thank you just for supporting us if you did. If not, thank you for just listening and or reading. Uh, that really makes a world. And to see, you know, people comment on Twitter, people comment on Facebook and share stories, that really means the world to know that our work is not going unread or unlistened. And, you know, if you were one of those ones that supported us, either donation or just support-wise, to us to make the trip to Tampa, that was really, really appreciative. And I know I'm really grateful for that experience. And that's something that I will always remember because of the support we got from other people. I would say also if you like independent journalism and you w- appreciate it and think that's it, that it's important and matters, like support it, like click on the story, share the stories, read them, um, because it helps us like prove to people that it matters. Uh, yeah. And you can continue to donate, not just on that GoFundMe, but through our website, because we wouldn't have to do these fundraisers if we had that type of money in the first place. But fortunately, it's worked out in the men's final four a couple years ago, the women's final four this year, that we've been able to send a contingency out across the country to cover such a big event. And that's all because people support. So continue to support it. And hopefully, hopefully we'll have jobs one day where we can (laughs) have enough income to donate right back to student journalism. (laughs) But yeah, support independent journalism, especially student journalism. And just uh, keep supporting everything that it has to do with a free press because it's important. Also, shout out for Ryan for creating the series. I think this is a really cool series. Oh, me so too. Nice. It helps Thank people you. like learn more about, like Sierra said, like, kind of breaking down those, those barriers between people who read and what the reporter is. Like, the reporter is not the person who's the story up is about. Yeah. The reporter is the person finding out the story. 
and writing what they know. And I think this is really helps the people listen and understand that. So props to you, Ryan. Thank you. Transparency in journalism. Ooh. Yay. This has been, I guess, season two, episode two of How It's Reported. I'm Ryan Wynn. I'm Maggie Benoni. Sierra Webster. Sean Meadow. And this is the Emerald Podcast Network. You can listen to this podcast and all our other fantastic content, all at SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can listen to it on the Daily Emerald website. Thank you for listening. Hashtag Shay, where are you? (laughs) Mm